I, I want to be held accountable for what I'm doing. You know, this may sound like an, an exaggeration, but it was like the 9-11 of my career and certainly of making kombucha. Jesus is smart. This idea of income inequality, that always strikes me as a very, it's a deceptive term, income inequality. Well, let's flip it around. It comes from outcome inequality. In five, four, three, two... Hello and welcome to Grub Stakers. I'm Andy Palmer, and I am joined with my friends by my friends and co-hosts Sean P. McCarthy, Steve Jeffers, and today we are talking about the president of Chile, uh, Sebastian Piñera, who has been in the news not necessarily for what he's done, um, but more of what the people of Chile have done in response <laughs> to his terrible governance. He's also the reason we're covering him. Uh, besides the massive uh, protests in Chile, um, he's worth $2.8 billion. Yes. Um, but for the last, I'd say, month, yes. um, there have been massive, massive protests in the streets of Chile. Millions of people involved about, or at least a million uh, estimates say about 5% of the entire Chilean population is taken to the streets. Yeah. So the other 90%, 95% loves him. Yeah. So things yeah. are going all right. <laughs> He, uh, it's, it's been shown that his approval rating is at 14%. Right. And it is his, his, uh, his approval rating is the lowest of any Chilean president polled since the Pinochet dictatorship ended. Yeah. He's, um, he's also the first president since Pinochet to, uh, get impeached by, mm. uh, or to have impeachment proceedings brought against him by yes. the Congress. Also the first president since Pinochet to have, uh, tanks rolling through the streets of Santiago. So yes. another. <laughs> well, actually, that those those uh, that's happened before. <laughs> They've had those. Um, his his predecessor, the first time she was his predecessor, apparently um, after a major earthquake around uh, 2010, right before his predecessor lost, hmm. um, people were looting for uh, things like food and water, hmm. and uh, you know she was a socialist, but also the water cannons were turned on them. <laughs> So but they needed water, so that's yeah. So you know the win-win, <laughs> right? And oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say the one uh, an interesting st- statistic to start this episode off with is um, according to the Wall Street Journal, the protests so far in Chile have done about 1.4 billion U.S. dollars worth of damage, which, as we said, is uh, half of the net worth <laughs> of the president of Chile. So he could uh, pay the entire damages and still be worth 1.4 billion U.S. dollars. Yeah, yeah, and he, and the protests actually even now are still ongoing. I think on um, it was either Halloween or November first, uh, which I guess is uh, Dios de Muertos. Mm-hmm. Um, there were actually because at least 20 protesters have been the day killed. Of the dead. The day of the dead. Um, there were kind of funerary marches through the streets of Santiago with people dressed in black and um, marching completely silently in in recognition of the people who have been killed in these protests. And there's also videos of... um, like there, there's videos that just have police like leading students away, and in one of them I saw they're like leading a student in a courtyard and then just shoot him in the leg and handcuff him. 
I think, Sean, also, you found another one. Yeah, there's that video of, like, three cops in riot gear huddled around, and you could see one of them take out Coke and, like, sprinkle it on his arm, and the other <laughs> one snorts Coke off his arm. And then I think another cop comes in and then also just snorts a line. And so they're just, they're, the Chilean cops are snorting Coke before they go wail on student demonstrators. I think it's the military, actually. The military? That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. because... Uh, Early on, he... Uh, but, but you know, it really does suck when you get the drip while you're breaking a student's leg. <laughs> you just get that uncomfortable feeling going down the back of your throat while you're just trying to party and enjoy the moment. <laughs> At the beginning of the protest, like, Pinero was calling the protesters, uh, like, enemies of the state and shit. And uh, now he's he's completely changed his rhetoric. He's saying shit like, you know, the Chilean people have spoken, so I'm going to rearrange my cabinet. <laughs> and uh, for some reason, that hasn't quelled the protests. Like, originally the protests broke out. I'm sure most people know this. Um, but they broke out because of a jacked-up subway fare mm-hmm. um, in a system that's... Uh, crumbling. And we don't know anything about that here in New York City. <laughs> yeah. uh, but... Basically, it started with student protests, and immediately they brought the clampdown on them. And so then more and more people started taking to the streets. It was kind of uh, um, uh, like the square in Egypt. I forget the name of that square. but Tahrir. You know. Huh? Tahrir Square. Yeah, Tahrir Square in Egypt. Um, and eventually, you know, the grievances, because the grievances ran pretty deep. Uh, everything from their pension system, which is, uh, it's essentially privatized social security and a lot of... Uh, dipshit uh neoclassical economists economists will say oh well the chilean model was a massive success (laughs) america should privatize its uh pension system and as we'll find out um sebastian and largely his brother are actually incredibly responsible for the horrible pension system that's currently in place in chile um they also are uh have the highest rate of student debt i think even higher than america right um, they experiment with like vouchers and shit or some form of that. Yeah. And like another thing uh, or two things to mention is uh, more than half the population lives on less than 500 US dollars a month. So, you know, I mean, something we've talked about is like in the United States, uh, the billionaires here, it's it's very horrific income inequality. But you can imagine a billionaire in a country where more than half of the people are on less than $500 a month US yeah. dollars is insane. I think they have the second highest Gini coefficient in the world, maybe after Mexico. Yeah, I, and it's yeah, just I mean it's awful, you know, economic repression. And it's mm-hmm. been really heartening to see videos like there's some great videos going around of um, you know, there's these water cannon trucks and uh, some protesters are just in the videos they'll climb up on top of the trucks and yank the water cannon until it breaks loose and like the water starts coming out like the top of it essentially just um you know, oh, it's not directed it. at anything yeah they're just yeah. disabling it oh, it's just pleasant it. yeah <laughs> and you know they're throwing paint at the windshields like in one of the videos where the guy rips off the water cannon um, you can see as it's driving by, people are also pointing laser pointers at the driver. It's oh, nice, just yeah. like in Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah. Laser pointers are it's that's a real fun like protest tactic that's come to um, dominate. But one other thing on the pensions, though, you were telling us, Andy, that uh, they privatized the pension system, but then the military did not go over to the private pension system. Yeah, the military <laughs> that forced the pension system at gunpoint on the populace. 
after the uh, coup, CIA-sponsored coup in 1973, um, still has government pensions. Uh, right. That's uh, the great thing about uh, Milton Friedman economics is it's best imposed down the barrel of a gun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's that's when people really um, that's how you know people really want it. And so um, so these uh, the fare increase was go- was going to be like three percent. Right. But he actually recently said he capitulated at least on the fares. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, people haven't stopped because, you know, once you get this. Yeah, that was just moving. like the the. What is it? The tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Yeah. But um, let's talk about uh, Sebastian Piñera. Mm-hmm. He was uh, born in Chile mm-hmm. in 1949. He was the son of Jose Piñera um, Carvalho, which uh, my girlfriend, who actually she was going to be on this episode because um, she's fluent in Spanish and knows a lot about uh, South American politics, but she couldn't make it because of a family thing. But shouts out to Gabby for helping with the research on this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she learned Spanish shortly after her family moved to uh, South America in 1945. <laughs> <laughs> she's Jewish. Oh, um, okay. She, uh, but uh, she so explained they moved to me in that... 1939 is what you're saying. <laughs> Uh, a lot of these, uh, you'll see, like, people in South America, they'll have, like, uh, like Sebastian Piñera. You know, his last name is Piñera, but then after that name, there will be uh, another name. And mm. apparently that's their mother's maiden name. Yeah, where the fuck do they get off? <laughs> two names is enough, people. You get two names and you get an initial. <laughs> that's it. Uh, so his his dad basically uh, founded the uh, Christian Democratic Party. Hmm. Uh, was one of the co-founders in Chile. And then around uh, 1965, uh, some uh, some Chilean left-wing newspapers were able to get a hold of some CIA documents hmm. uh, from the uh, Santiago. I think it might have been the... I, I, all of my sources were pretty much run through Google Translate for this. Right. Um, so it was a bit difficult to piece together the exact context, like Iran-Contra would be translated to Iran hyphen against. (laughs) And so, um, but yeah, Andy, you were telling us like you found a bunch of different sources of where his wealth came from, from leftist newspapers that were shut down by Pinochet. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, uh, El Segun or El Ziglo, uh, which is a left wing newspaper. Hmm. Um, but they got a hold of, uh, some CIA documents in 2009 when, uh, Sebastian uh, Pinera was running for uh, president for the first time. Right. Um, or at least was running for president the first time he successfully became president. Mm-hmm. And uh, the documents indicated that starting in 1964, yes. uh, his father was working uh, as an accomplice for the CIA. Like it was listed in the actual CIA documents. And uh, for those who haven't listened who who aren't familiar with a certain part of chilean history with the cia or haven't listened to our uh episode with uh jake flores um also about a pinochet guy uh julio ponce larue mm-hmm. uh in 1973 a democratically elected socialist uh salvador allende was deposed in a uh, cia sponsored coup we can actually, we can even go before that. Uh, it kind of starts with, in 1970, uh, Rene Schneider was mm-hmm. the uh, chief of staff of the Chilean military. He was a general. 
And he said, essentially, there were calls for the military to overthrow uh, Allende in 1970 when he was first elected. Yes. And so he said, no, the military is going to be apolitical. We are not going to overturn democracy. And then the CIA had him assassinated. Yes. They literally paid, I think, 50,000 U.S. dollars to his assassins, and he was taken out. Yeah. So he was killed for doing the right thing. It's a very tragic story. Yeah. And there's there was a whole, um, like, there's a whole list of like steps that the cia went through because um and this is you know this has come out in the church committee and you know multiple sources that um the nixon administration and the cia did not want a democratically elected socialist um in well anywhere Hmm. uh because that would you know strengthen the image of socialism that if they had a successful democratically elected socialism that would spread socialism which of course would undermine business interests Hmm. and so the first uh when uh, allende was first running for president the uh cia had what they called their tier one operation which was just to undermine him at the um quote-unquote democratic level the first plan was to essentially either find a way to force him to drop out and um, get his opponent elected or uh, just get Congress to not recognize his election. They have that form letter they sent to Martin Luther King Jr. and they just changed his name to uh, Allende. (laughs) We know about the affairs. You should do the right thing for your family and kill yourself. So so the tier one uh, plan didn't work Allende immediately, um, or, you know, won and uh, was very popular. And so their next plan was to try to destabilize him. So they first tried that first coup. Hmm. Um, and this is where uh, uh, Pinera's brother kind of come, or not brother, his father, his brother comes in later. His father kind of comes into the picture because his father was working with the CIA from 1965. And it's well established that once Allende took power, the CIA... Uh, and they, and after they kind of couldn't get that first coup to go through, what they decided they had to do was destabilize Chile right. um, to the point where it uh, the right-wing parties felt that it would be necessary to support the military in a coup operation. And so what they did was, um, in Nixon's words, make their economy scream. And one of the things they did is they actually ran money uh, to a lot of professionals, uh, kind of business owners, to support them as they did capital strikes mm. and uh, professional strikes. And so, you know, these are kind of well-off, you know, upper middle-class people, and the CIA is paying for them to go on strike to destabilize the Chilean economy. And I don't think it's mm. uh, a big stretch to say that if his father was working with the CIA at that time, that he was not involved in those operations. Um I mean, I don't think it's a stretch to say he was involved in those operations. Yeah, but counterpoint, it is nice to see the CIA supporting a strike fund. <laughs> <laughs> this reminds me of, uh, like, the manager strikes of the state oil companies in Venezuela yeah, in, like, yeah. 2000. Which I'm sure the CIA had nothing to do with. Um, you know, completely different This is a grassroots organization. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was bottom-up over there. So, following Allende's uh, ousting, basically, they bombed the presidential palace, uh, stormed it. And after giving a very good final speech um, saying, you know, how he believed in the people of Chile and how despite all of these, you know, um, all this that's happening, uh, 
he supports the workers and everything. And yeah, it was a little awkward though because he had to end it by saying, oh, "I guess I'm getting the light," and then the orchestra started <laughs> playing, and then you heard a gunshot. Support and- my Patreon. <laughs> There's a guy in the back holding his phone up. I gotta go. <laughs> it is creepy because the audio does end with a blast, which I think is a bomb blast. Um, but so, do you think he took his own life, or did he die fighting intruders in the building? I. I- it wasn't until the... Or did both happen? I don't think he was actually shooting at intruders, but it is confirmed that he took his own life. Um, though the people who saw him, like, you know, they heard the gunshot and then they went into the room and he was dead with the an AK-47. He was given by Fidel Castro mm. in his hands. Uh, apparently it had like a little gold thing that says, to my friend Salvador Allende, achieving the same uh, goals by different means. But the people who saw that, most of them... Um, did not confirm the story that he shot himself because they didn't want to give any legitimacy to the dictatorship, which is honorable. And it wasn't until about 99 that um, they actually came forward and confirmed that he did in fact shoot himself. Mm. Um, So Pinochet comes into power and he, uh, he enacts Milton Friedman uh, free market reforms. And, it was supported by a group of people called the Chicago Boys, uh, one of whom is a fellow by the name of uh, Jose Pinera, who also named after his father, um, who is uh, he went to Harvard. He's Sebastian's brother. And um, so he I guess he didn't go to the University of Chicago, but everyone calls him a Chicago boy. Mm-hmm. Um, Saltwater economics. Yeah. And he became the head of the uh, Department of Labor and Mining. And while there, he was the architect of uh, privatization of a bunch of the um, privatization of the pension system, uh, which we mentioned earlier, which is now a big source of the strikes. Um, He was also he weakened unions by making it. Oh, shit. Freshwater economics. Sorry. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) these are it's a a term for. Oh, for Chicago. By the lakes. Oh, yeah. Chicago. um, I think Northwestern and a couple others. Yeah. While we're doing corrections, I think Chile has the second highest Gini coefficient in the Americas, not in the world. But it is very significant income inequality there. And it's uh, below Mexico, but above the U.S.? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. It is just above the U.S. And so so while he's implementing these reforms, you know, there's the union reform, uh, which weakens unions to um, essentially make it so that people can only negotiate on the company level. They can't have, like, national union negotiations. Mm. I'm actually quite surprised that unions were able to survive the coup. There's this great uh, quote on Wikipedia, which uh, was given by one of the uh, this economist, Paul Craig Roberts, who is known as the father of Reaganomics. Mm. And uh, he noted that uh, Chile was the first country in the world to privatize Social Security. Pinera played the key role. Privatizing the pension system would have been enough to earn Pinera his place in history. But he also saw the privatization of health care. Right. <laughs> which is just like the most <laughs> this man could have already retired at the top yeah. he saw <laughs> he knew he could go higher fucking jordan three three rings back to back <laughs> and um he um, also he also privatized water pinochet privatized water yes, yes uh which you know it makes it really expensive to spray water cannons at earthquake survivors 
when it's not considered a public good. He knew the people were thirsty. <laughs> thirsty for change. They have to like take the fucking, uh, what do you call it? The mountain, the Polish spring bottles, the plastic, <laughs> and load them up in the water cannons because there's no public utilities to fill them with. <laughs> Well, Arrow, arrowhead yeah <laughs> fucking Jesus, Fiji yeah, water oh, yeah or they start they start loading up with Poland spring and everyone's yeah. like nah, all right then they run out of that and it's arrowhead and they're like oh fuck this just like the fucking purest water to get aggressively sprayed with when you're trying to do a peaceful demonstration <laughs> well so so the pension reform system um that he implemented is especially interesting because this is a big um part of the protests uh it had mandatory 10 percent contributions from workers and uh no mandatory contributions by employers and essentially after pinochet took power and this was implemented um it was like people who were on the government pension system already were like heavily pressured to switch over to the private system and then every new person who joined the workforce had to go on the private system where again there was a mandatory 10 percent contribution um, and then the uh, heavily pressured by the military loading their guns. Yeah, it they um, <laughs> just like uh, they go into every fucking government bureaucracy and then they mm-hmm. point at a helicopter that starts its rotors. What? You mean yo? You mean price signals? What's that? Those are those are just price signals. So oh yes, that's yeah. right. That is the fucking efficient. There's a lot of information in prices. <laughs> well, it is like, like seeing a helicopter revving up. it's like the fucking helicopters pinochet used to kill those people were covered with like pepsi ads and shit (laughs) it's all privatized it is funny to see the uh protests in chile and you know the country's covered with advertisements like america so there's right you know people starting fires in the streets and in the back you see big signs like compact huey (laughs) well it's worth talking about which is you know chile and hong kong are the two things libertarians and uh, various right-wing economists always point to as their major success stories. Yeah. And, you know, like, I've tweeted about this and people push back, like, oh, you know, Hong Kong or Chile, that's not real libertarianism. But it's like, okay, there's no existing actual perfect libertarian model. Yeah, but because this is, that would collapse even faster. Right. But this is what you all point to. This is what Milton Friedman and John Stossel made their videos about. They talked about the Chilean miracle. They talked about absolute horseshit. They talked about Hong Kong. And it's like, oh, look, your two case studies are both fucking falling apart. Yeah. Whereas, like, you know, people on the left, like, they're not going to say Norway or Finland are socialism. It's social democracy. But this is what we point to as, hey, this is the closest that we've gotten. And Finland has, like has almost eliminated homelessness there is no homeless population in finland so it is just interesting to me where at the exact same moment the two case studies for libertarian economics are falling apart in a fiery blaze of uh, mass popular demonstrations against uh, these systems that were both imposed by dictatorships yeah yeah and on top of that like the the whole Chilean economic miracle, like in 1982, there was a massive like the bottom just completely fell out of Chile, mm-hmm. and their economy was devastated. But even before that, during after the coup and the the you know the strikes leading up to it, the CIA funded strikes you know hurt Chile's economy, and even if in the sort of intermediary periods, you know there was an increase in GDP, it doesn't mean anything 
if people at the bottom don't get anything from it. Like when people are becoming heavily in debt, like even there was a, a Planet Money episode on the Chicago Boys that was kind of like, I think it was supposed to make them look good. And they did an episode, one of in, in their series, they did an episode on Chile and the, uh, the coup. And at the end of it, they were like, yeah, all these horrible things happen. Like, you know, they talk about Victor Hara getting his hands crushed before he was executed. Um, he was the guitar player, Chilean Woody Guthrie. Yeah. Uh, they crushed his hands so that he couldn't play guitar anymore. He did yeah. left-wing protest songs. Yeah, yeah. It should be noted, um, apparently people uh, in the protest today in Chile have been playing his music every night. Oh, which yeah. Which is very yeah. inspiring. And they're also waving, you know, flags with Salvador Allende on them. Mm-hmm. But Planet Money, you know, they, 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 they mention that, but then it's also... But now they have credit cards in Chile. Of course. And... It, it was interesting that they left this in because at one point they're, you know, interviewing some hack who um, is going through a translator talking about, you know, the the boom and the modernization of the Chilean economy. And the at a certain point, the translator is just like, OK, well, I'm drowning in student debt. Like, <laughs> he just like... It, it, kind of unheard of for like a translator to jump in and like you know give their own point while someone's being interviewed for a like international radio program right and like even then like the, the that guy just couldn't handle you know just spreading this bullshit when you know chile is uh has horrible inequality and poverty yeah, Planet Money is so insufferable. They made a translator break character. <laughs> I'm so tired of you NPR dipshit glasses, motherfuckers. Like, okay, I'm sorry. I have to say something. Yeah. <laughs> um. So back to these. It's like making a mime break. You have to be so annoying, like, to make a translator lose their shit on you. But NPR's Planet Money managed to do it. Yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, like you were saying, Andy, like, it's actually very familiar to the United States, though it's even a more exacerbated version, because like we said, they have privatized uh, social security pension system, they have privatized healthcare, they have uh, a system kind of school vouchers where they have tons of student debt, tons of medical debt. And, you know, like we've said a couple times, about 50% of the population lives on 550 US dollars a month. So they're just getting crushed. And then, you know, it's, it's like any other piece of austerity, the minor subway hike sets off is the spark that sets off this fire and then people see all these other people in the streets and they're like okay i'm getting out there too because i'm fucking sick of this shit yeah like a slogan i think is something it's not about 30 pesos it's not it's about 30 years they're talking about everything that's happened since the end of the pinochet dictatorship and of course we should mention uh uh we haven't mentioned earlier but they're still living under the constitution that pinochet the military dictator put in in 1980 so that's what a lot of the people are calling for is not minor reforms. Let's scrap the fucking Pinochet constitution and get an actual democratic constitution. Absolutely. And I think also part of the reason that you don't see like these kinds of protests in America, which probably has the most comparable economy to Chile is that, uh, America, the, um, kind of powers that be have been able to sort of lift up just slightly the standard of living for Americans, essentially by exploiting countries like Chile. Um, Like, for example, the uh, Chilean pension systems, uh, they're 
run by these private companies called uh, AFPs. And uh, two of them are owned by American companies, MetLife and Prudential. And one, one of the aspects of the Chilean pension systems is, you know, they're supposed to invest your pension and, you know, get returns. But those returns are lowered to about the level of a savings account because of all the processing fees. Hmm. And so, of course, all those processing fees, they go to the executives and administrators. And in the case of MetLife and Prudential, they're coming to America. It's and not dissimilar from like the New York state pension system. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Where you use large uh large fiduciary services of bank of big of the biggest banks to do it yeah yeah no, there's, there's lots of fees there there's yeah. nothing similar in your 401k make sure to not read that small text that comes on the <laughs> sheet they send you every year but actually you know on your theory as to why there's no mass protest in america I, i'm just spitballing here but something that made me think about is why the Koch brothers always oppose every single public transit initiative it's like yeah. in America, there's no public transit. So if you want to go mass protest, you got to sit in traffic for three hours. So it <laughs> find actually, a parking space. Right. It does actually undermine solidarity when everybody mm-hmm. can't just get on the metro and say, go to the, the, the center of downtown and say, we're fucking sick of it. Yeah. 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 The, like, yeah, the, our strikes are more easily broken. Yeah. When there's no public transit, for sure. Yeah, certainly. I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. Um, and then another uh, another aspect of um, well, one one of the aspects of this pension system is it's kind of driven a lot of the Chilean workforce. Apparently, the Chilean workforce half of it works outside of the pension system, basically getting paid under the table or working, um, uh, being self employed, uh, probably because they can't afford the mandatory ten percent contributions to these companies, um, but. Because of that, they're just people who have to work until they die, which, again, nothing like the United States. <laughs> um, Retirement brought to you by Coca-Cola Incorporated. <laughs> Drink Coke fresh. So Drink I guess Coke till you die. <laughs> I guess we should turn to our boy uh, Sebastian himself. Um, I did just want to rehash real quick. We talked about this on the Jake Flores episode uh, about Julio Ponce LaRue, but it should also be noted, a big part of um, Allende and Pinochet and all this is land reform. And land reform is a running theme in most, let's say, left-wing versus right-wing at the bottom of it, because, unsurprisingly, um, you know, poor people own very little land, rich people own most of the land. So, just for any potential communist revolutionaries out there, uh, a very smart strategy the communists, uh, the Soviets used in Eastern Europe was they would do land reform, because if you give the peasantry land then all of a sudden they're loyal to you they're loyal to your party and your program and um uh just to kind of rehash what actually happened in chile here uh they were doing land reform from about 1962 it actually predated allende Mm -hmm. but allende wanted to put it into overdrive allende said they're going to expropriate all land holdings of more than 80 uh hectares so everybody with more than 80 hectares had their uh, was going to in the process of hand, having their land expropriated and then given out to small farmers in parcels. Um, uh, Pinochet undid that, uh, according to uh, Gabriel Salazar, um, about 30% of all um, uh, expropriated land during the land reform from 62 to 1973. About 30% was returned to its former owners during the uh, military dictatorship. Another 5% was was auctioned, but also what happened was, because of these various reforms, 
according to a different study, uh, the fruits of capitalism, modernization of Chilean agriculture, uh, due to the lack of capital or credit to invest in their lands, many smallholders sold their lands after the land reform was over. After the land reform, there was a process of reconcentration of land ownership so that by 1997, the land ownership was more concentrated than it had been in 1955. So predating all these land reforms in 1955, 1997, land was more concentrated in fewer hands. And so that's just something to kind of emphasize where like at the at the base of all this stuff, of course, it's, you know, a materialist view of history. But at the base of all this stuff, it's it's about land and property and capital and power and who has it. And the Chilean model has really put very few uh, a lot of the resources into very few hands. And one of the uh, most glaring uh, aspects of this is that there was a law passed under Pinochet in 1984 that is it's called an anti-terrorism law which is total uh, bullshit and what what the law does it's been exclusively used against the uh, Mapuche Indians Mm. um, and who I, I guess probably largely are victims of the privatization of land and so you know they've tried to occupy land like get it back and so what the law says is um, it treats illegal land occupations and attacks on the equipment or personnel of multinational companies as acts of terrorism and subjects those charged to both civilian and military trials Uh, Moreover, it sanctions the use of anonymous or unidentified prosecution witnesses and allows for indefinite detention for people labeled as being terrorists. See, Pinochet was all about restoring rule of law. Mm -hmm. You know, anonymous witnesses (laughs) and how they are synonymous with rule of law. It's just disgusting how, like... I mean, the the, the, even passing it in 1984, it's like, it's too on the nose. Um... But yeah, like the long and short of this episode is uh, Sebastian Pinheiro's brother, his dad was on the CIA payroll. The CIA, his brother was on the CIA yes, payroll. They later. were both on the fucking CIA payroll. Uh, they uh, helped implement uh, the austerity and all the privatization programs. And then he becomes a billionaire, which we'll talk about right here as to how he becomes a billionaire by, you know, being on the CIA payroll, being in with Pinochet. And then he comes becomes the president after Pinochet leaves. Yeah. And also to wrap up on Jose, he uh, now works for the Cato Institute in D.C., <laughs> which shows how much love he has for the nation of Chile yeah. uh, that he did so much for. So, Sebastian, uh, he's it's a, really hard to work for the Cato Institute and be a bigger piece of shit than Murray Rothbard. <laughs> so, kudos to him. Uh, Sebastian, he's a younger brother of Jose. He, uh, See, Murray Rothbard <laughs> at least kept the market for children in theory, as opposed to this guy who actually went and implemented it in the real world. And, uh, yeah, I wonder if he met Epstein ever through his uh, CIA contacts. So, Sebastian, the, the myth of uh, Sebastian Pinera is that he brought credit cards. Uh, he Well, he... His, his life story is he also went to Harvard. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, Milton Friedman did some teaching at Harvard, even though he was based in Chicago. And uh, Panera did kind of take some classes or uh, study under Milton Friedman in some capacity. And then he uh, went on to be, become an economist uh, in Chile in the late 70s. And 
Uh, the story about how he got his wealth is supposedly he managed to negotiate uh, getting international visa cards in Chile. Mm. And uh, from that, he made a lot of money and sold it to Santander Bank or something like that. And, you know, cashed in to uh, the tune of 78 million. And from there, bought uh, an airline and uh, um, television station and, you know, just spiraled into uh, Berlusconi type uh, political and uh, wealth lifestyle. Uh, the reality is that in 1980, he took a job at this bank called uh, Banco de Talca. And before we, I go into this, uh, this story, uh, it's worth noting that he has repeatedly claimed in public that, you know, he is against the dictatorship of Pinochet, uh, that, you know, he, he thinks that it was awful. And he, he also, he tries to spin himself now. Like if you look up videos of him, like English language videos, he's talking about the importance of fighting climate change. Mm. And so he's kind of a good uh, case study in how disingenuous those kinds of people can be. But his, uh, in the, in the rage in eighties, he was, he became a general manager at Banco de Talca, which is a hundred year old, was a hundred year old bank uh, at the time. And while he worked there, uh, in 1982, the bank uh, collapsed. Uh, it, it when the essentially what happened is that the peso uh, was pegged to the dollar. At first, it had kind of a free floating exchange rate, and then uh, when Pinochet first took power, then they pegged it to the dollar. And uh, at a certain point, it became evident that the peso massively dropped in value, mm -hmm. and uh, relative to the dollar, and uh, they it basically took the bottom out from the Chilean economy in 1983 and uh, caused their their worst uh, recession since the Great Depression. And at Banco de Talca, uh, what Sebastian did, and it's uh, where I got this was from, like, apparently there were, uh, I mentioned there were leaked CIA documents uh, that kind of detail some of the things, but a lot of these have also been confirmed. Um, one of them by a former judge under Pinochet. Uh, Banco de Talca goes under, and it uh, becomes immediately evident that it had a massive fraud. They, <laughs> What they did is they lent out $250 million while the capital reserves of the bank were only $40 million. King. And then at the same time, they had uh, the law in Chile was that a bank could only lend out 25% of its yeah, capital. 25% capital ratio. Yeah. They had to keep. Never, so. They never, went with 500% instead. <laughs> never let the Chicago school tell you that they don't believe in fiat currency. <laughs> and so what they did with uh, all this money they lent out is they created somewhere between 80 and 150 shell companies that only existed on paper mm. and gave them almost non as many as Grubstakers LLC almost mm. <laughs> gave them uh, completely non-collateralized loans because these companies don't exist. Uh, they were again, just on paper. And then they had those companies invest in the bank. Sort of like the bearer bonds that um, we use to secure Grubstakers LLC. Exactly. So like yes. Right now I'm holding them and, <laughs> and I own Grubstakers. But if you hand them I to me. I just handed them to Sean. Now he owns it. <laughs> have you, I, I heard you if... watching the laundromat last night. Have you seen it, Sean? <laughs> no, I haven't seen it yet. Oh, it's like, it's, it's really cheesy, but it's got like some good stuff in it. Yeah. But then the ending is just the dumbest thing where Meryl Streep 
uh, holding the script of the movie and uh they break the fourth wall yeah they break the fourth wall and then at the very last shot is her posing as the statue of liberty uh which is yeah yeah like the beginning and the end of that movie were kind of disappointing yeah but i like the story yeah the story was it did it did a good job of talking about like all the fraud of the panama papers and uh it also taught me that antonio banderas uh can age he's he's old in that movie i like the idea (laughs) i didn't notice because he was a b for uh nasonex for several years years i like the idea of grub stakers being owned by bearer bonds <laughs> in a bank in the cayman islands and one of our patreon Safe. listeners figures it out <laughs> and flies out to the account and then takes over grub stakers and we have to work for them i'm placing the bonds back in the safe just so <laughs> our listeners know so all of these shell companies they uh quote bought shares of banco de talca essentially just pouring money into uh into the bank and it it seems like part of this um scheme was they would convert pesos while it still had the higher uh exchange rate right to dollars and then funnel the dollars into the bank and what uh one of the interesting things is that uh the cia documents noted that uh pinochet himself had an account in the bank under the pseudonym uh jose ramon ugarte Hmm. Uh, and from what I've been able to figure out, they also, another thing they did is that there were, uh, the central bank of Chile had, uh, um, in order to kind of incentivize exports, they would give certain financial incentives for companies to, uh, that carry out exports. And so the bank also created a bunch of shell companies in Panama and then recorded a bunch of fake exports to their shell companies in Panama. (laughs) And... It sounds fucked up, but this is the basis of the entire current global financial system. Like, this is how fucking Amazon pays zero in federal taxes. It's an open secret. Everybody fucking does this. This is how Ukraine and Nigeria and take your pick of country, the elites, and in Chile, of course, Pinochet and his cronies, the elites smuggle millions of dollars out of the country and offshore, and they fucking walk away with it. Yeah. Well, what's what's especially... so. What's interesting is with this one is uh, once everything came crashing down, um, as I'm sure Pinochet expected, because it it seems entirely clear that he knew that the pegged currency uh, was about to fail. Um, it, I, there's no way he couldn't have known. <laughs> Trying to like load the currency onto a helicopter, and <laughs> throw it out. And uh, so the bank goes down, and two of the guys who are involved in the scheme, uh, Miguel Calaf and Alberte. Uh, Dione, um, they serve three-year prison sentences, but there's also a warrant that goes out for um, uh, for our boy uh, Sebastian Pinera. Sebastian Pinera um, to get arrested, and as soon as he finds out, he flees the country and is a fugitive for 24 days. And during this time, uh, there are some back-channel negotiations. Um, where uh, the min- Minister of Justice, uh, she's admitted to this uh, actually recently when Pinera was running for president the first time. Her name is uh, Monica uh, Madaraga. Uh, she stated that she was actually pressured by Pinochet to just grant him a pardon. Uh, so that, and, and now uh, our, our boy Pinera will claim, he, he claims repeatedly, he's, he, he's amazing at the persistence of his ability to lie. He he claims that he was completely found uh, absolved of any wrongdoing in this case, but 
what came out in the CIA documents is that it was actually he went to the American embassy and then they found a way to shuttle him into Argentina and then from Argentina into Mexico while the back channel negotiations were going on and Pinochet pressured the change. And what seems to be evident here um, and uh, is that especially from Pinochet's account is that once he realized that the uh, Chilean peso was about to drop in value, you know, and completely destabilize the economy, if his inner circle who ended up actually making a lot of money from this uh, Banco de Talca issue, um, if they got economically devastated, like the rest of Chile, it would destabilize his grip on power. So what appears to have happened is then they used these shell companies to convert a bunch of pesos into dollars, funneled them back into the inner circle right before the whole thing collapsed. And the CIA details seem to indicate that, you know, they were completely, if not, they weren't probably weren't directing it, but definitely supportive of it because, you know, they put Pinochet into power and they certainly want him to stay in power. Yeah. And uh, well, you were saying like paying off the military elites is a good way to maintain your uh, yeah. grip on power. Exactly. Their own private exchange rate. Yeah, they set up their own private exchange rate basically to hoard dollars right before the bottom yeah. fell out of the peso. Yeah, yeah. And so then, you know, that's the reason that the CIA uh, helped our boy Pinera flee. And that's the reason that then Pinochet helped him, you know, stay out of jail is all of that. And of course, because he was never, uh, because he was pardoned completely, yeah. he got to pocket all of that money he made from that. And that set him on his pathway to becoming a billionaire. It's so great. Like, so again, the long and short of this story is the guy who helped Pinochet and his cronies steal millions of dollars yes. got to be president because he helped Pinochet and his cronies steal millions of dollars. Exactly. And also the CIA helped. Yes. That's uh, like... You know, again, it's it's not quite as bad as running Jeffrey Epstein, but uh, they've been involved in some shady shit. Yeah, I mean, I guess you can say at least Jeffrey Epstein uh, didn't execute 3,000 people in a month. Jesus Christ. And, you know, torture thousands more. Uh, well, and also, I mean, he didn't kill himself. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> so... You know, there, uh, everything else, I, I feel like, pales in comparison to this just massive fraud. But, like, so the actual mechanism is uh, uh, Sebastian Pinera made a bunch of money off this fraud, and then he used it to buy the credit cards. Yeah. Because that's what, like, again, the common article, like Andy was saying, the common article is he brought credit cards into Pinochet's Chile, and yeah. he became a, bil- a billionaire mm-hmm. off that. And that was actually negotiated by his brother, it turns out. Hmm. And uh, part of it was that uh, American companies were able to set the regulations on how those cards were used. Of course. Again, do not look into the CIA connections here. It is, I mean, like, it's not surprising, but it is fucked up how the CIA has become and has acted as an arm of American business uh, throughout the entire world. It's, if you have a a Mm -hmm. country that is as privatized and as tied into business, has the government and the business as like enmeshed as America does, then naturally their covert operations are going to be for the benefit of American businesses because that is the main mechanism of the American economy. The CIA for like developing South American countries and elsewhere, the CIA is just like a necessary node within the supply chain. Yeah. Yeah. For a lot of businesses. Yeah. (laughs) 
And Sean, you were looking into the, uh, there's a CIA, uh, former CIA director yes. who tweeted about it. Right. We've offered one explanation of why there are massive popular grassroots protests in Chile today as we record this. But another one was offered by uh, Michael Morell, a <laughs> uh, former acting director of the CIA. He was a CIA director, acting director in 2011 and also from 2012 to 2013. He tweeted on November 1st and then uh, almost immediately deleted it for some reason. But this is <laughs> this is what the former CIA director tweeted. Quote, anyone who thinks the protests in Chile are, di- are driven by poverty slash inequality, as some would have us believe, need to watch this video. This is about Cuban, Russian, and Venezuelan interference. <laughs> Shows the vulnerability of even a well-functioning democracy and economy to hybrid warfare. Yeah. Well-functioning economy where... Democracy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if Jack Ryan taught us anything, it's that Venezuela is using their nukes to... Right. Uh, influence Chilean policy. I am sad that I don't get to watch the video now because he deleted that tweet. Oh, there was ma- a video too? Yes. He said, you need to watch this video. It'll explain how, you know, Russia oh. <laughs> is causing these protests, which it's like, look, of course, the Russian intelligence agencies, I'm sure, are trying to do that. But of course, we do that shit too. It's the fucking material conditions. But just the fucking- you have, to, you have to look at the Chilean agents. Right. Who, are, who are subverting yeah. Chilean democracy yeah. as well. It's also worth noting that uh, Michael Morell, he was uh, director of the CIA from November 9th, 2012 to March 8th, 2013 mm-hmm. under Obama. And during that time, as the uh, Syrian civil war was picking up, he uh, was one of several uh, intelligence officials to pressure Barack Obama to take part in a CIA operation called Timber Sycamore that was geared towards running guns to um, anti-Assad forces. And what ended up happening is that uh, they just ran thousands and thousands of guns. And uh, a lot of these guns got in the hands of a lot of uh, jihadist organizations. And even beyond that, if uh, a lot of these organizations, you know, they have a lot of guns, but they don't have a lot of money, they're just going to sell those guns. And there became a massive black market in the region for guns. Mm. And uh, it was found by some estimates that uh, a lot of these guns, there'd be about a two-month turnover from those guns leaving the factory to arriving at ISIS. Uh, oh, the new guns. Yeah. yeah, the new guns were all... You know, Basically, his his scheme was arming ISIS, and the um, Timber Sycamore was discontinued in 2017, which is about the time the bottom fell out for <laughs> ISIS. I can't really comment on the operate. Uh. I do just want to say that... Uh, I do like to know that we can still have badass operation names because you forget <laughs> like we do stupid shit like Operation Iraqi Freedom, but uh, Operation Sick. What is it called? Timber Sycamore. Timber Sick. That's a pretty good operation name. Yeah, I found Operation it be- Northwoods. <laughs> I think we should call Grubstakers Operation Douglas Pine. <laughs> uh, I actually I found it's a, it's it when a good, I was like, um, secret weapons program name. There was uh, uh, if you go to the the Twitter page on the Chilean coup, there's a little bar on the side where yeah. it's uh, just a list of all the CIA uh, coups, and the most recent one is well, Timber Sycamore. Exactly. This is why uh, Michael Morell tweeted and then immediately deleted it because the fucking balls of a CIA director calling Chile quote a well-functioning democracy and economy unquote mm-hmm. when it was fucking privatized to shit under the CIA's direction, it was looted to shit under the CIA's direction and uh, the democracy part was also overthrown under the C- by the CIA 
you mm-hmm. know the fucking balls and just one other thing on michael morell uh just from military times he releases a memoir in 2015 and quoting from military times the uh former cia director made a series of factual misstatements while defending the agency's harsh treatment of detainees in his recent book senate intelligence committee staffers assert in a 54 page document file filled with filed with citations from cia records so this fucking dickhead releases a memoir which the fucking senate intelligence committee has to uh respond to with a 55 page document saying that he's full of shit because he lied about the torture program he lied about how water uh, boarding uh what's his ksm mm-hmm. about how that got them all this vital information and then they released uh i think an inspector general's report from the cia saying that waterboarding ksm didn't do shit he also uh this guy michael morell lied to um Diane Feinstein was the head of the committee investigating torture mm-hmm. and uh he like he writes in his memoir about how you know I'm personally troubled by waterboarding, but we have to admit it's our most effective technique. When he had previously told the Senate, uh, "quote I'm not in the weeds" when challenged on specific details of the torture program, so he pretended he didn't know what the fuck was going on. He's a yeah. fucking asshole, and he belongs in prison. It's also worth noting that the uh, torture program waterboarding was one of the more mild things. They routinely killed people. For instance, they would lock them in. Uh, freezing conditions and then they would find them the next morning and they'd be dead from hypothermia like that that's the stuff that still hasn't really made it to the general public is how many people were just straight up killed by the cia but andy counterpoint this is about cuban russian and venezuelan interference (laughs) yeah um but anything else in our guy sebastian pinera future of these protests um I mean, he he's uh, hopefully he'll get shoved out of power and into a prison cell. Uh, how that's going to happen, I don't know. But, um, you know, uh, just uh, good luck to him. And uh, I wish him the best uh, in all his uh, future endeavors. If I were that guy, I'd be looking into a Swiss bank account and uh, some sort of private chartered flight. <laughs> He he! Oh, he was named in the Panama Papers too. Of course, he was. Uh, so you know, he's he's definitely got a lot of money stashed away. I can't wait till like next month when he has to like flee the country, and we just start seeing him in Williamsburg, <laughs> just like walking to do the podcast. And we're like, hey, we did an episode about you next last month. You want to come on for the follow up? <laughs> yeah, he's going to be on CNN talking about how the Republican solution for climate change is actually the most reasonable one. <laughs> So what is with this? Uh, how exactly is he overhauling his cabinet? That's just, the latest thing with him, right? Yeah. It, at first, it was saying that he was getting rid of his cabinet, and then he's like, "I have fired thirty percent of my cabinet." Which okay, so you've consolidated yeah. power. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Yeah. You found the photo of him like fake helping in the earthquake, right? Oh, it's a f- it's a photo of him falling down. I want to make it the picture where he's just you know he's climbing over some rubble and then his aide has to catch him as he collapses. <laughs> it's part of like what the demonstrators got mad about. Again, he's worth two point eight billion, and like when the demonstrations first broke out, we should mention at least nineteen people have died in these demonstrations. Minimum five of them killed by uh, military, police, security forces. Um, but so when the demonstrations first broke out, he was eating at a fancy Italian pizzeria, which, uh, you know, I I don't know. It's just some real Guinea shit. He's also got some, uh, you guys want to hear some, uh, uh, Sebastian Pinera rape jokes? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, so let's do uh, a rape joke corner. Um, 
This is like he had to flee the country while Pinochet was in power to uh, do a sold out show at Madison Square Garden <laughs> as the Dice Man. <laughs> Hickory Dickory Dock. Pinochet's daughter was sucking on my cock. What? <laughs> do you want to know what the difference between a politician and a lady is? When a politician says yes, he means maybe. And when he says maybe, he means no. And if he says no, he's not a politician. When a lady says no, she means maybe. When she says maybe, she means yes. And if she says yes, she's a slut. (laughs) Another uh, winner is, uh, I suggested a very entertaining game. It was simple. All the women throw themselves on the ground pretending to be dead, and then we'll throw ourselves on top of the women pretending to be alive. What do you think, guys? What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. This is real? This, yeah, these are real jokes, he, rape jokes he told. Where, what, where, did he, where was he saying this? Um, it's hard to... It looks like... Uh, they were just like from speeches or just like off the cuff. This <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> These were his old podcasts. Public, yeah. public speech. Yeah. Jordan Uhl dug them up. <laughs> he fucking ran for president. It's funny, too, because he's got a, um, besides his, uh, he's got two brothers named Jose, and mm. there's the Chicago boy. But the other one is just an absolute fail brother uh, who looks like Sam Kinison now. But he's, like, clearly dyed all of his hair black to try to look young. But he wears, like, the hat, has long hair and a goatee. And he's a <laughs> local nightclub owner and former musician. Like, there's okay. video footage from 1982, the time that his brothers were committing fraud. And he's just on TV playing really shitty music. I could. So, um... I got one more Sebastian Piñera quote. This is from Forbes, so of course they do his his best face forward. Quote, The road to development is never paved. It is full of obstacles and and traps. It's necessary to avoid the Christopher Columbus syndrome, where who never knew where he was going, where he got to, and the government paid all the expenses. So that's a little joke about uh, government spending and Christopher Columbus. uh, (laughs) But also a rape joke. He also says uh, to be able to share this development plan for the uh, Tarpaka region, and uh, we are going to apply the old and wise principle of the miniskirt that has to be long enough to cover the fundamentals and short enough to maintain tension. This guy, like, I don't know, one rape joke you kind of excuse, but this guy thinks about this shit a lot. Yeah. He must have been, like, young and uh, saw some Chilean officers doing some shit or something. Yeah, I mean, he's he's definitely Chile's Berlusconi, like, no question. Um, so, except, you know, instead of mob connections, he had dictator connections. Uh, Should be noted, a UN report from 2017, uh, the richest 1% of Chileans earn 33% of the nation's uh, income. I saw that, and earn is definitely the wrong word there. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, I think that's uh, it. Nearly half, according to Vox, nearly half of Chile's 9 million strong workforce is now in debt. So, again, debt overhang is like a real driver of this. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's... Good thing they have those credit cards. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was Cuban agents. (laughs) And with that, this has been Grubstakers. I'm Andy Palmer. I'm Steve Jeffries. Uh, I'm Sean P. McCarthy. Uh, we've got a Discord now. So if you check us out on Patreon, you can hang out in the Discord. And, yeah. uh, you know, Andy will give you <laughs> the other three hours of the Jordan Newell. I also want to thank uh, Gabrielle Spunt, my girlfriend, for helping with a lot of this research Aww. and um, and translating. 
she found the rape jokes. Andy, thank you for covering me for me because actually I wrote all those rape jokes. <laughs> and then we just pretended that the Chilean president did and then assumed it's in Spanish. Nobody's going to look it up. All right. Thanks all right. for listening. Thanks, Gabby.